Let's play a game. Let's see if you can identify what these comments are referring to. You ready? We are like New York City now who bans soft drinks. Let's ban everything except vegetables and organic foods. Ban all cars with engines over 350 horsepower. Ban skydiving. Ban surfing when the waves are too high. Is that the state that you want to live in? Okay, that's one. Here's another one. Cool. Create a black market. Cha-ching. That's two. And let's try this one. I know and understand your position. The cost of his or her treatment will be paid by all. I can support this notion up to a certain point. Any idea what they're referring to? This is kind of neat. I like this. Not because of what they're doing, but because of the conversations that it will create. Here's what it is. So ban everything. Black market. Cha-ching. And I understand your position. The cost of his or her treatment will be paid by all. This is referring to the state of Hawaii. Anybody ever been to Hawaii? Is it worth going? Why is it so expensive to stay in Hawaii? But that's not the point. Hawaii is looking at becoming the first U.S. state to ban not smoking, but the sale of cigarettes entirely. They have legislation that would effectively end the sale of cigarettes by 2024. They would start next year, and what they would do is jump the minimum age for buying cigarettes from 21 to 30. Hey, you know, that's not a bad thing. Why? Well, because after 21, it all kind of ends, you know? Especially in Canada. What do you wait for? You wait for your 16th birthday. Why? Because you can drive. And then you wait for your 19th birthday. Why? Because you can drink legally. And then you wait for your 21st birthday. Why? Because you can drink legally in the United States. Those are the things you wait for. It's very exciting as a young person to hit all of those milestones. And then, what? Then the years just keep on rolling by, don't they? Decades fly past. Next thing you know, you're 80. And that's the next thing that you finally hit a date of consequence or an age of consequence. And what are they doing? They're making sure you can still drive, or they're taking your license away. That's not fun. We need something else in there. So in Hawaii, if this legislation goes through, by the time you're 30, you'll be able to buy cigarettes legally. Huh? Yeah, right. Uh, Then what they would do with this legislation is they would bump the minimum age for buying cigarettes. This is the best part. They'd bump the minimum age for buying cigarettes from 30 years old to a hundred. <laughs> That's what they would do. This is actual legislation that they're trying to put through. Ban the sale of cigarettes for anyone who is under the age of a hundred. I'm sorry, sir. Can I see some ID? Why? Because you don't look a hundred. You look, uh, I don't know, in your 90s, maybe. Come on, Grandma. I need you for a second. Why is that, dearie? Well, I need to piggyback you to the store so that you can buy me smokes. Really? I love this. I love that they've done this in the legislation because it kind of makes a mockery out of all of this.
banning the sale of cigarettes. So you just wouldn't be able to buy them in Hawaii. Now, you know who's right in all of the comments that I read out? Everybody is kind of right. Um, the person who says, yeah, the cost of treatment, yeah, that goes up among smokers, sure. But we've been dealing with that for a long time. The person who says, create a black market, cha-ching. That's exactly what will be happening. Now, maybe because Hawaii is a set of islands, they would have better luck because getting the cigarettes there is maybe a little bit more difficult than driving across the border from New York State to Pennsylvania. I got a trunk load of cigarettes. Hope I don't get pulled over at this border crossing. Hey, look, I'm across the border. There's no real task in that. Now, look, I'm going from uh, Ontario to Manitoba. Hmm. Not really getting pulled over or checked for anything. Hawaii might be a little bit different because, what, you're flying in, you're boating in. Anybody going to want to boat in? There are shark-infested waters. So, yeah, that, that person is exactly right, that this would just create a black market because people are going to smoke. Where do a lot of people buy their cigarettes around here? Seriously, where does it happen? They do go to the reserve because it is cheaper. That happens. And any particular area that might have a reservation nearby that is selling things like cigarettes or gasoline, you do have people who go and make their purchases there. Is it what you're supposed to be doing? It's a gray area. It's a very gray area. So Hawaii banning the sale of cigarettes. Is this something you would like to see tried anywhere else? What if London, Ontario stood up? Or what if the province of Ontario stood up? Now that we've got the Ontario government that is trying to save all kinds of money at every single crossroads they can find, what if they stood up and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to ban cigarettes. I don't expect this to happen. In fact, I think they would encourage the sale of cigarettes so that they could get the tax dollars from it. We're not going to see the ban of cigarettes anytime soon. The Ontario government is not worried about money savings when people age another 30 to 40 years. They're concerned about money savings or bringing in money to the coffers in the next three, four days, if not weeks, if not months. So I don't think we're going to see it in Ontario anytime soon. But are we at a point? where it matters. I don't really even notice smoking the way that it it used to be, you know, and this gets to the third comment that we read. Why not ban cars with engines over 350 horsepower? Because, yeah, you're right. You don't need to drive a car that goes that fast. Okay, so what do we do? We cap everything at 110. Is, it, is that safer for everybody? Ban surfing. Oh, it's Hawaii. Ban skydiving. Yeah, but skydiving's fun. You got to be able to live. I truly don't notice smoking anymore. I even find smokers themselves, and I want to thank smokers for this, are moving themselves further away from doors. Even last week, did you walk out into a cloud of smoke outside a door? I didn't, I didn't have that happen. So smokers aren't necessarily huddled around doors anymore. Smoking, does it matter? 519-643-2222. If you want to weigh in on this, you can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. What if we decided to ban smoking? Right now, I don't think it's a it's a bother. You want to smoke? Smoke. Do we penalize you for the fact that you'll cost us or could cost us more money healthcare-wise in the future? Yeah, but that's a slippery slope. What about somebody who is doing other things? What about then do we ban the sale of alcohol immediately? Do we do we ban the use of marijuana? 
Do we ban the, you know, slippery shoes because you might fall and hit your head? I mean, where does it go? 519-643-2222. Bob, lead this off for us, please. I think I know what you might say. Uh, well, yeah, the first thing that came to my mind, Mike, was, uh, was is that new Congresswoman Cortez, is she, is she involved in this? Because it sure sounds like one of her ideas. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know that for sure. Yeah, Chuck Schumer must be in on it. Probably Pelosi, too, you know, these, these geniuses. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, of course, you're absolutely right in what you say. It's going to create a, gra- a black market. And uh, rest assured, they're going to vote. These criminals are going to vote or vote. Uh, cigarettes across the ocean. They bought uh, drugs for, right across the Gulf of Mexico and the States, and they do it in the Caribbean, uh, you know, into Florida, from Cuba. So that's not going to deter these criminals. I mean, they're all set up for that. It's a cat and mouse game out in the ocean with that every day with the, uh, you know, armed, for, armed forces in the United States and, and the uh, cartels. So, uh, you know, didn't they learn anything, anything from prohibition, you know? With the alcohol, it became one of the most notorious, uh, you know, like... Uh, People just found a bootlegger. Exactly. We had it going across the Detroit River, the Rum Runners Ray. We have Al Capone. We had... Uh, wasn't it Siemens or... Uh, not, uh, what's that beer in... Uh, uh, Sleemans. Yeah, Sleemans. Right? Sleeman. They, they were shut down, too, right? So uh, it's, it just comes down to, you know, everybody has information on what can kill you. When you're an adult now, if you want to take uh, cigarettes and smoke them your life and die of cancer, so be it. Do what you got to do. But, uh, you know, it's not the wisest thing to do, obviously. So let just people live like they want to live. Uh, you know, make your own decisions. You pay the price if you make the wrong decisions, and that's the way it goes in life. You can't have these nanny states constantly just babysitting us every time we walk out the door, you know, telling us what to do, what to think, what to say. And that's kind of the way it's going. Bob, thanks for the call. All right. <laughs> Take care. 519-643-2222. Sarah, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm new to London. I, ca- I arrived in early December. Hey, welcome to London. Thank you. What do you think of us so far? Um, well, I have to, in a very serious way, tell you, I- I've been very, very... Um, <clears throat> scared by the fact that in my new apartment building, I've been exposed to so much secondhand marijuana smoke in London Really? that I've had to be in the emergency department twice at the Victoria General Hospital. And Dr. Shepard, who took care of me on my second visit, she, she asked if I had somewhere else to live because she knew that my respiratory system couldn't thrive and I can't I cannot live around secondhand marijuana smoke and have a healthy life. And are you finding this inside the building? Outside the building? Inside the building. Yeah. And I've talked to the management and what I want people to seriously understand is this is something people don't really know how to deal with. I was woken up after Christmas over six night nighttime periods. Four of them I woke up in the night between like 1 and 2.30 in the morning, I was feeling sick, got out of bed, noticed I was smelling incoming marijuana smoke from someone else's apartment. And I, the only way I could even stay in the apartment in the nighttime hours was um, I, I opened the balcony door to get outside air into the apartment. And by January 8th, I was so sick with stress and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I, I was able to follow the advice of my doctor, which was I stayed somewhere else, but I can't afford to. 
Right. Now, I can't do you have to find a new apartment? And I want people to realize it's a very, very scary topic because if you are getting woken up in the night and what you sense you're smelling is marijuana smoke, it's not just the sadness. Like, I can't stand the smell of it. It's you, you start to analyze, why am I so stressed out? Is it that I'm allergic to marijuana smoke? It could be. But also I realized because marijuana impairs people's thinking capacity at a certain level, I was also realized I think I'm also very concerned that somebody nearby me may become impaired mentally and set off a fire in this apartment building. I don't know the people yet. I've just moved in, right? Right. And I want people to be really scared about marijuana. I don't believe it should be something people can smoke in apartment buildings. I think it's a really scary topic. And that's why when I heard you could call in on this, I thought, I'll take the risk. I have nowhere to live. Anybody wants to find me a nice non-smoking apartment in in the London area, I'd be really grateful. Now, do you have an existing respiratory condition? Um, I have had a neck injury many years ago in a passenger train. And after that, I noticed that being near my uncle's cigarette smoking bothered me. But I'm a non-smoker. Okay. And I've just moved, and partly I moved because my mom sadly had passed away, and I'd been living with her. And I didn't have a way of knowing who I'd be living near in this apartment. But I, I want you to know it's a really serious topic, yeah. and I'm lucky to be alive. I think if, if I hadn't got into a merge that day, I took two aspirin, uh, 81 milligrams. I thought I was having a heart attack on December 31st, and I only, I think, by good fortune, got into the eMERGE. There was no lineup. They took me through, but I, I, I want people to be very sad and realize that, like just yesterday, I came up uh, later in the afternoon. The hallway was smelling strongly of marijuana smoke around where I live, and there I saw a dear little girl walking down the hall with her knapsack, I assume maybe to go and see a grandparent. And I thought, is this ever a sad world that our, our young people, you know, are, are walking down the hallways of apartment buildings and, and being exposed to extensive amounts, in, in this case, of what smells like marijuana? Hey, Sarah, it is, it's a legitimate topic. Thank you so much for raising the issue. Really appreciate you calling today. Hey, if you can help me find an apartment, I'll give you my phone number. I'm not exaggerating. I do have some physical handicaps, but I'll tell you this. I was voted valedictorian of my U of T occupational therapy class back in 1986. I, 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 I carefully said I, I don't wish to be valedictorian for you, but I'm a very serious lady, and I'm very concerned about the government policy about smoking. And I don't have another apartment to move to. All right. Well, so Sarah, if somebody does have it, that, we can, we can definitely match that up. Okay. Let's not joke about smoking. It's okay. a really scary topic. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great day. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. We're going to take a quick break, and I do believe we're going to have something very special happen when we return. Something people have been asking about. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We kicked off the show talking about Hawaii looking at banning the sale of cigarettes for anybody under the age of 100. And we've been talking about a number of smoking-related issues, but I promised when we returned something very special might happen. Well, I want to go back through some emails that we've been receiving that I've been getting at mike at 980cfpl.ca. You ready for this? 
Here's one from Tim that says, and I'm just going to read you the subject lines as I scroll through. I've, I've grouped these together. Uh, Tim says, where's Richard? Uh, let me scroll down a little bit. Here's one from Alex. Do you know where Richard is? Uh, here's another one that says, is Richard okay? And another one that says, just Richard in the subject line. It comes from Joe, and Joe says, did you ban Richard from 980 CFPL talk shows? No. No, we did not. So watch this. Let's go to the phones. Richard joins us. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I am so happy to hear your voice. Where have you been? Well, I've been around. Is it true that you thought I moved to Hamilton? We have had this conversation on the air because, look, I just read through. These are only four of the emails and only the ones that I got. Craig's been receiving emails wondering if you're okay. And I remember it. John called in and said he'd heard you on a Hamilton show. So maybe you had moved to Hamilton. Well, I'll tell you, Mike, the only memory that I have of Hamilton, Ontario... Back in the day, I was pinched right with an open bottle in a public park, and back in them days, that was considered a serious crime, and the judge right sentenced me to 14 days in the old Barton Street Jail. That's the only memory I have of Hamilton, Ontario. And did you have to serve all that time? I had to serve the 14 days, yep. I'll never forget what that judge said to me. He said, we don't like drunks in Hamilton, Ontario. He said, this is a nice, clean jurisdiction, and he said, and we intend to keep it that way. Richard, I am thrilled that you are okay, number one. Do you have a thought on smoking you want to share with us? Well, yes, I do now. I just want to talk about the sovereign state of Hawaii. You know, the legislators down there, they must not have much to do with their time, right, when they have to come up with something like that. My question is, right, even if they, the legislators, right, get this legislation passed through their state legislature there, how are they ever going to enforce something like that? Are they going to bring out 5-0 and Steve McGarrett, and he's, is he going to be going around busting people and saying, book them, Daniel? I think Hawaii 5-0 sounds like a great way to do it. I would, I would pay to go and watch that happen in person. Well, the last lady, you are right. Smoking is a serious issue, and it's, and it's something right that we don't joke about. But banning it is something totally right ridiculous. I'll tell you why very quickly, Mike. When I moved right back to London, Ontario, right seven years ago, I wasn't even in my apartment on Huron Street. It could have been any more than four days. I got a knock on my door, and this gentleman right asked me if I was a smoker or a non-smoker. And I said to him, I said, are you from the London Health Unit? Or I said, are you taking a service? He said, no. He said, I'm in the tobacco business, right? He said, I make a pickup. He said, once a week, he said, I go to a certain place. And he said, and I pick up tobacco. And he said, and I would like to have you as a customer. I said, well, I'm not a smoker. He said, well, he said, if you ever decide, he said, to go back to smoking, he said, here's my business card, he said, right? And he said, and I'll go out. And he said, and I'll pick up your tobacco. And he said, you'll get a really good deal. So all I'm saying, Mike, if you try to bring in prohibition, all you're going to do is take a bad situation, right, in a black market that you have now, and you're going to even, you know, magnify it and make it worse. No, prohibition, it never worked back in the 20s and the 30s, and it certainly won't work now. But I do agree with your caller, that lady, that smoking is a serious issue, 
but bringing in a prohibition right on it, right, is something absolutely ridiculous. But anyways, Mike, it was good to talk to you again. And if you're listening to me, Marilyn, don't you worry. You are my all-time favorite caller. And I'll tell you, Marilyn, I've listened to a lot of different talk shows over the years across Canada and listened to a lot of different talk show hosts. And Marilyn, you are my all-time favorite caller. And I'll tell you, Marilyn, and this is a compliment, so cred in the legendary Rafe Mayer, he would have loved you, Marilyn. You have a good afternoon, Mike, and it's good to talk to you again, and I'll be keeping in touch. Excellent. Richard, you have put a lot of people at ease. You have made a lot of days. And you know what? We now get to talk with Richard's favorite all-time caller. Marilyn, how are you today? I've got tears in my eyes now. That is so sweet of Richard, you know. That was a good, if that was your surprise, it's the best surprise I've had since my birthday. Well, that is fantastic to know. Well, you know, dear, I used to smoke as a teenager and just to look cool. And I can remember back when I was a little girl, say about six or seven, my brother would, who then would be in the army, he would give me 35 cents to go across to Tanner's grocery store and get a pack of sweet caps. They were 35 cents then. Well, of course, now they're just all right through the roof. But anyways, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know anybody who smokes. And wherever I go, I don't see people smoking, not even outdoors anymore. So maybe it's finally got through to them not to smoke, but it does ruin your health. It isn't good for your lungs. It isn't good, period. And, and you know, this dear lady, Sarah, that called, well, tell her to, to call Mike at, uh, or call Norquay. Apartments. Okay. And um, I live at number 80. Sarah, there we go. Yes, so that's okay. I don't care who knows I, who I, uh, where I live. Okay, well, um, let's, let's not give an address or anything, Marilyn. You have, you have some celebrity status. You realize that. <laughs> I don't know, dear. If I please somebody and make their day, then I feel pretty happy. Marilyn, you've uh, made all of our days. Thank well, you so I much sure for the love call. To adopt you. I love Richard. I love you, and I love Craig and his darling little girl. And tell me, is his wife expecting? I don't. Has he said that on the air? I'm. Well, I'm he said something about a little boy. I'll okay. Let me let me see what I'm allowed to say because I don't want to say anything that I'm not supposed to say. No, but no. I'll 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 come back after news with Jacqueline LaBelle and and I'll clarify all that. Marilyn, you have a great day. You too, dear. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was fun. Let's take a break for news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, lots of things to get to. We are going to actually, remember yesterday we were talking about bike sharing? We're going to go to Kingston in the next half hour and we'll tell you how their bike sharing works and then maybe you get a better picture as to how things could work in London. They did a pilot project and so bike sharing is something that is being discussed. There was going to be a grant. The Ontario government has said, nah, not so much of a grant anymore. But now the cost of bike sharing services has come down. There is one called Drop Bike that is being used by Kelowna, BC and by Kingston. So we'll get how that works. That's coming up in about 10 minutes from right now. Uh, got an email from Crystal, and Crystal says, I was listening to Sarah talk about marijuana smoke in her building, I get her concern. 
I have an eight-year-old boy, and when we walk through the building, or our building, we can sometimes smell the smoke. However, for her apartment, I think she should invest in an air purifier. It's changed my life when it comes to allergies in the air. I'm pretty sure it would help her with any respiratory problems. If she moved into a building that allows smoking, this could have been expected, uh, whether it's marijuana smoke or cigarette smoke. There are non-smoking buildings in London that she can look at when she's able to afford to move. However, for now, I suggest purchasing that air purifier fire to help with the air in her apartment. Good one costs about $100. Crystal, thanks. I didn't think you could smoke in a rented property. Am I naive to think that? I thought every rental property was non-smoking. Smoke outside. Because I don't mind that people smoke. I have no problem with that. But if I was a landlord and I was renting out a place and someone came in and smoked in it, uh, I wouldn't be happy. Because the next people coming in might not want that. And in essence, what you would be doing is limiting the number of people who could rent your apartment. So am I wrong to think that everything's not non-smoking? You can smoke in a rented apartment or house in the city of London? If you can help me out with that, shoot me a note. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. I mean, I've lived in places, but this is going back many, many years I remember there was one where if it got too humid, you know how it gets so humid once or twice in the summer where your walls get all sweaty? It would actually sweat brown because of all the smoking that had been done in that particular unit up to that time. So you'd have brown drips going down the wall. But I didn't think things were like that anymore. I, I didn't think it was an optional. I thought it was, no, you're going to rent this, you can smoke outside. Most people who own their own homes now smoke outside, right? If you smoke and your wife doesn't or vice versa, don't you get booted to at least the garage or outside? For sure you do. Nobody smokes in their own home anymore, do they? Unless everybody in the house smokes. 519-643-2222 if you can help me out with that. So we'll talk bike sharing in just a moment. And we are also going to get to something that I think we need to spread the word on because I think it's time it stops. And it goes back to a conversation that we had on London Live in the summer. And it is street preaching. We need to talk about it. We're going to talk about it next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. As we finish out our talk about cigarettes in Hawaii having legislation in place that by 2024 would make it illegal for anyone under 100 to buy cigarettes. That's my favorite part of the legislation. Ted, can you help us out with rental properties and smoking? Well, I think that smokers are some of the most persecuted people on the face of the earth. Uh, well, I eat meat, too, so i got to watch out for it. I don't smoke. I never smoke. I just didn't like it. Um, I'm glad I didn't. But what I'd like to know is, the other day I was watching a, an old I Love Lucy show, and Lucy's sitting there smoking a cigarette. They don't show anybody smoking on TV now. With, or anything like that. And I, I don't know why people have to push their views on everybody all the time. Smoking is legal, and uh, it does harm. So does alcohol. But alcohol is all over the place. Everybody's drinking their wine and having a good time and blah, 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 blah. And uh, you can smoke a cigarette and you're not an impaired driver, but you can have to do the glasses of wine that will throw you in jail. 
Yeah, but that, there is a little difference there. I can, I'll can, i agree with you that none of those things that you listed off are illegal, and we can't persecute smokers until it is illegal. But, yeah, smoking a couple cigarettes and drinking wine, that's different. It's going on all the time, you know, and it's been going on for the last, like, 50 years. Well, I'm glad I was born when I was born in, in, uh, in uh, 1945. We had so much freedom when we were younger. Nobody was always telling us what to do. And, uh, you know, it, it, these social engineers... I've seen what's happened to the kids with the social engineering. And it's, the kids, you, you have, it's tough to be a parent nowadays. I'm glad I'm not in that. And it's tough. And you're not going to ban anything. It's because, like, like Richard said, Richard's absolutely right because they banned something that doesn't go underground. Ted, thanks for the call. You're welcome. And that's exactly right. Yeah, you ban something that somebody wants, it creates a black market. That's why we have drug dealers. That's why they do quite well. People want the drugs. Other people will deal the drugs. They thought they would get rid of black market when they legalized marijuana. I haven't seen it disappear yet. Uh, Andy tweeted, hearing from Richard was a great belated birthday present. Andy, by the way, happy birthday. So I think hearing from Richard was a great either belated or, or early birthday present for all of us. Richard, we're thrilled to know you're okay. We have to get to this. We have to get to street preaching simply because what we need to do is hand out an email address. And I don't mind doing this, okay? Um, I don't like the street preaching. And here's why. When my daughter was 17, she was doing a photo shoot in London and was walking from wherever they were to wherever they were going to take the pictures and she and another girl same age were done up they were wearing makeup because it was I don't know what it was I mean I don't have a lot of the details but I know she was wearing makeup and I know that a couple of street preachers accosted her for wearing makeup and the wrong length of dress or whatever and being 17 years old she and her friend were a little bit shaken by this and that lasted for a while now, if you want to stand at Richmond and Dundas and you want to read biblical passages, you want to read from Vogue magazine, you want to read from a play that you wrote, you want to read from the hockey news, I don't care. You can do whatever you want. But don't put it in somebody's face. And this is the difficulty that exists here. So, there is an email address that has been made because the city wants to know how many people are being affected by somebody getting into their face. So, if you send a note about your experience to enforcement at london.ca, enforcement at london.ca, we'll get a better picture of how many people are being affected by all of this. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Back to the phones right now with Joan. Joan, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great, thanks. Um, I'm just fine. Did you know you could still smoke in a hotel in Ontario? Really? You don't have to ask for a smoking room? No, but I mean, that's I didn't even realize in Ontario we were at the Caesars Windsor, and by accident I got put on a smoking floor. There's two full floors that are smoking. I knew that there were designated smoking and non-smoking rooms in hotels. Yeah, but does that surprise you that that still exists? It really did in Ontario, I have to admit, it really did. I knew there'd be smoking areas, especially outside a casino or... 
tourism, but I'm really shocked that they allow it in the hotel because if you're in the floor above it or a floor below it, you can smell it. Yeah, it's just like having, we kind of laugh at it, that we had non-smoking sections in restaurants and on airplanes. What, what were we thinking? Uh, you know what? I used to, years and years ago, I'm talking almost 30 years ago, when I worked in the old Jim Hortons, they would have one part of the counter non-smoking and the other part was smoking, and the donut smelled like smoke. <laughs> <laughs> All of the donuts, right? Yeah, the whole store, but, you know, they kind of had them on one end and the other. We didn't know any better back then, but for what you know now, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I used to have people tell me, Mike, I used to be uh, very overweight until I had gastric bypass, and I used to have people tell me all the time, well, what's the difference? You know, you're overweight, you're, you're unhealthy, and you're smoking. I said, my smoking, or sorry, my uh, overweight is not going to hurt you. So me being overweight is not going to affect your health, but me smoking and having sec- giving out secondhand smoke is going to hurt another human being. Joan, thanks for the call today. Thanks all, Mike. Bye. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Okay, we haven't had a chance to dig into street preaching, but I did want to give that email. If you have been accosted and women who wear tights are accosted, women who wear pants are accosted, I mean, there's all, but you don't have to get into somebody's face. It is enforcement at london.ca. Tell them about whatever has happened to you just so that they can get a decent picture of what is going on. Because bylaws, they are a-changing. And as much as... You know, smoking is one thing. If something is illegal or annoying or infringing on somebody's enjoyment, you do have to look at it. I mean, Ted, I know you're probably arguing with me. Bob, you'll be arguing as well, saying, hey, everybody's got to relax a little bit. That's true. But if somebody's getting into the face of my daughter over how much makeup she is wearing, I'm not a thrilled guy. Now, I didn't go and find those guys. I didn't make a deal about it. But... If you've had an experience, enforcement at london.ca, tell them about it, and then maybe we decide whether or not these people belong on our streets. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Yesterday we were talking about bike sharing and whether or not to do it in London. We had a lot of people expressing, eh, kind of lukewarm reaction to it where you'd be able to rent a bike, buck an hour, but you'd have to put down about $49 to begin with. And we talked with Jay Stanford from the City of London, and there had been a grant. Now the grant is not going to take place, and yet the dollars that it takes to put this in place are a lot less. So Kingston is one of the cities that is actually getting this done. They've been through a pilot project. Paul McClatchy is the Director of Environment, Real Estate, and Environmental Initiatives with the City of Kingston and joins us now to describe how things have worked out there. Paul, how's Tuesday going? Tuesday's going great, Mike. How's it going for you? Not too bad. The topic of bike sharing has come up in London. We're still trying to figure some stuff out. Can you describe what you're doing in Kingston? Uh, In Kingston, sure, yeah. Um, So we got into the uh, community bike share game in 2017. We ran a pilot project with a company called Drop Bike, um, and that was really successful. We had over 6,000 rides in a matter of three months, I think. Um, our city council approved us to move forward with uh, an extended uh, deal with Drop Bike, where they would provide that bike sharing service to our city, and uh, we're getting geared up to launch that in uh, April of 2019, full scale. And so, how does this particular program work? Uh, it's 
pretty simple. Uh, it's a uh, dockless system, so there aren't those big expensive uh, docks on the sidewalks. The, uh, the bikes sit on sidewalks in locations called havens, um, and uh, people use a, uh, a smartphone-based app to uh, um, create an account with, uh, with the drop bike company. They pay a $49, $50 deposit uh, to use the service, and I think then it's after that it's about a dollar an hour to use the bikes. They uh, pick up the bike where they need it, and they drop it off at a haven that's close to where they're going. Um, there's no... There's no charge back to the city, actually. It's uh, originally when we were contemplating a bike share here in Kingston, we were expecting quite a sizable uh, investment and in having to buy bikes and docks and things like that. But because of the arrival of the dockless system, uh, that's not the case anymore. And we have companies like Drop Bike that are willing to come into cities like Kingston where there's a, they think there's a good enough market and they provide that service uh, at no charge to the city. Okay, so that's the money's not funneling through to drop bike from the city then. No, really the only the only way we govern this is um they they need to operate on our sidewalks. That's where the bikes are stored. So we we create a licensing agreement for the company that allows them to do that legally. Um but no, there's no uh there's no fee to the city or the taxpayer for uh for the program. Paul McClatchy joining us, environment director real estate and environmental initiatives with the city of Kingston as we talk about their bike sharing program. Paul, you mentioned the pilot project. What showed the city of Kingston that it was working well enough to look at doing this full time? Uh, when we were doing the pilot pro- pilot uh, scale program with Drop Bike, we got a lot of positive feedback from the community. We uh, we did a public engagement, um, you know, asking people to tell us what they thought of the program and, and generally the Results were were really positive. Um, we also heard from the drop bike company themselves. They had they had targets for how many rides they wanted um, per bike uh, for them to be able to to make some sort of profit at this. And they said in September, once the uh, once the university and college students got back into town, then they were meeting those targets and they were happy with that. Um, and you know, we had some doubt about whether or not uh, the city would actually have to kick in any money and. Um, we were we were we were pleasantly surprised that we did not. Um, so when we went full scale with uh, with Drop Bike, uh, that was that was the case, and we're happy to provide a, a bike sharing service that gives people transportation options and and helps us reduce our carbon footprint here in in the city at at no cost uh, no cost to us. And it's not like the bikes are abandoned, left on the side of the road, turfed anywhere. Where when someone gets off a bike, do they tend to leave it? Um, well, we encourage people to leave the bikes at the Haven locations, and um, that, that's what uh, the Drop Bike uh, web app guides people to do. Now, they do have the ability to leave them in other locations, and Drop Bike has the ability to charge them uh, an extra fee if that happens, so, that, so that, uh, that, you know, that covers their cost to go out and pick up the bike and bring it back to a Haven location. We didn't see too much of that happening in, to, in 2017, but it does happen from time to time, but it's... It's not something that I would say is out of control. Now, is Drop Bike a company that once you say, let's do this, they set up with employees in Kingston, or is this just kind of run virtually from some other location? Um, so far, what's happened is uh, when Drop Bike gets to town, they do hire a couple of local people to be there. They call them bike warriors, and these are the people that will um, pick up bikes that are in the wrong, wrong location and put them back where they're supposed to be. These are the people that will uh, collect bikes that uh, need repairing and get them repaired. 
Um, but most of the, the transactional between transactional activity between the people that are using the bikes and, and drop bike is done on, as I said, that web-based app. All right. And if somebody wanted to visit Kingston and try this out, when are you full swing into this? Uh, we'll be full swing into this uh, mid to late April of uh, this year. Fantastic. Well, Paul, thanks so much for all of the information about this. We wanted to see how it was working in Kingston and what the appeal was, and you've given us all of that and more. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Paul McClatchy, Environment Director with the City of Kingston. So they ran the pilot project and they found that people were using this, and especially, as Paul pointed out, when college and university students returned to the city. So that's given it the go-ahead. Maybe that's the target that we're looking for. Maybe the lukewarm reaction yesterday had a lot to do with the fact that most of us uh, are a little beyond our college and university days. But they're doing it. London's looking into it and no doubt watching closely what happens in Kingston and Kelowna. News is coming up next. After news, we're going to speak with Dr. Theo Versteeg, CEO of Topspin. This guy was at the Super Bowl won an award from the National Football League and could be a reason that we see fewer concussions in the future in any number of sports, all because of an invention that he came up with here in London, Ontario. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The Toronto Maple Leafs have reportedly been able to get Austin Matthews under contract. This is impressive. How many times have you heard the joke that you should take Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and put them in a room with $22 million and say, okay, have at it, guys. Divvy that up. Figure that one out. Because that's one of those things that would not be easy to do. Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, who's worth what? Well, looks like Austin Matthews will be a Toronto Maple Leaf for five years after this one, it's five-year extension, and it's worth an average annual value of $11.5 million. So now they have to turn to Mitch Marner's camp and try and get him under contract. But what this does is it prevents somebody from trying to offer sheet Austin Matthews. So good job by the Toronto Maple Leafs in order to get this done. That's not an easy deal to get together. And you know, Austin Matthews could have waited around, could have seen if maybe an offer sheet was coming. Somebody made a great argument one time that the Arizona Coyotes, because he's from Arizona, should just spend a wad of money, more than the Toronto Maple Leafs could ever match, and bring him down to Arizona and turn him into Mr. Franchise and get a new arena and build condominiums. That's what players can do these days. The value of players, it's pretty crazy. So to see this one come together, that's Austin Matthews likely wanting to win a Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Job well done by them. Okay, we are going to talk some sports a little later on this hour. In fact, well, we're going to be talking sports kind of throughout this hour. But we're going to deal with things from a concussion perspective because there is a London company. And we're going to speak with the London company, the CEO, one of the creators of it, and one of the inventors of... Something that may help to prevent concussions from this point forward. And it's been recognized by the National Football League. I mean, this is big stuff. This is really, really big stuff. So we'll get to that in just a moment. I do want to also tell you and congratulate a few people 
because the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame has announced its induction class for 2019. Gord Ash, big part of the Blue Jays for their rise and then their World Series championships. Um, also going in, Jason Bay, big slugger with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Then you have pitcher Ryan Dempster, who won a World Series. And then you also have a guy who maybe needs more recognition than he actually gets, Rob Thompson. Rob Thompson's from Sarnia, and he was actually the first Canadian to manage in the major leagues because Joe Girardi was sick one night. And Girardi said, hey, if I'm going to be sick, Rob Thompson, you are managing this game. He was Joe Girardi's bench coach with the Yankees, won a World Series with the Yankees as a bench coach. But he managed, and he became – there's a cool London tie to this – he became the first Canadian to manage in the majors since Mooney Gibson. And that was back in 1934 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he managed two games and now is with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was their bench coach last year. He'll be their bench coach this year. And who knows, maybe he come, becomes a full-time manager at some point. Because being a bench coach, that's usually a step away from it. And maybe just maybe. He gets an opportunity to do that, but he's been an incredibly valuable member of the Yankees for years and now the Philadelphia Phillies. So if you don't recognize the name, probably because you already know another Rob Thompson in your life. Oh, I went to school with that guy. Yeah, in the fifth grade. He was the guy. No, that's not the right guy. Different guy, but a very very important part of this induction class. So we'll talk about that induction class in about a half hour from now as we head for St. Mary's. And we'll see in the next little while how many people from that induction class we can talk to personally on London Live. So that's coming up. Before we close out Street Preachers completely, I did want to get to something that we found. It's a site that essentially teaches you how to be a street preacher. And that's fine. You can find things on the internet that teach you how to do a lot of things that you either should or shouldn't do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do this. I don't mind if you're reciting Bible passages on a street corner somewhere. Fire away. Go ahead. If you can brighten somebody's day, by all means. If you're getting into somebody's face and telling them that they shouldn't be doing something because of your own beliefs, that's wrong, in my opinion. And that needs to be taken care of. And the city of London seems to want to see how widespread this is, how many people are being affected by this. If you have been affected, you just heard Jacqueline LaBelle give the email address, enforcement at london.ca. Jot down a quick couple of notes. Yeah, you know what? Back in November, here's what was happening. I was told I should stay in the kitchen. I was told that I shouldn't wear tights. I was told that I shouldn't wear makeup. I was told that I shouldn't wear pants. I was told that I was enticing men. I would All of these things. We have accounts of all of them. And so send that little blurb off to enforcement at london.ca and maybe just maybe we don't have people being intimidated walking down the street. That's wrong. You should not be able to intimidate someone or make a comment about how they are dressed on the street. There's no reason for that. But here's a little thing that we uncovered, and it comes from a site from Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. And here's what this actually says, word for word. Street preaching is as old as the Bible itself. 
Street preaching has never been popular either inside or outside the church. Huh. And yet people choose to do this. Open-air preaching and street evangelism has never been culturally relevant or socially acceptable. This is coming from the actual website. But street preaching is biblical, it says. Below are articles that explain what street evangelism is in its various forms and what it is not. You will find articles that will equip and encourage you to engage in street evangelism and open-air preaching. And then it goes on and on, and I just, I, I got a kick out of reading what some of these things actually said. How to draw a crowd. And if you click on that, it will say, bring a crowd with you, because a crowd draws a crowd. So bring some friends. And there you go. Uh, Proverbs to use with hecklers. It has some suggestions. Um, how to measure your effectiveness. Street preaching equipment. They recommend a stool and some form of amplification. And then they offer suggestions like making eye contact, that louder is not better, to respect law enforcement, uh, to find a pole, because, again, that will draw a crowd, uh, let officers see your hands. I mean, you look at this and you think, this, this is a real website? It is. And it's giving you the how-to on street preaching. But I haven't read through it enough to know whether or not it says, hey, make sure you get into people's faces and tell them what they're doing is wrong. I don't know that that's there. I don't know that it isn't. I just know that on the streets of London, Ontario, I don't believe it should be there. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll talk about something very happy, something that could help a whole lot of people who participate in, let's say, contact sports or maybe not even contact sports. Topspin360.com is something you may want to check out. But we'll talk with Dr. Theo Versteeg, who is the CEO of Topspin Technologies, next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. London, Ontario has been home to a lot of pretty amazing things. Well, next on the list may just be the Topspin 360. It's not about golf, but it's something that was featured this weekend at the Super Bowl because it wound up winning an award that deals with the future of the NFL. And it is something that is designed to help prevent concussions. And we'll get to how that works in just a minute. But the person responsible for putting this in place is Dr. Teo Versteeg. He is the CEO of Top Spin Technologies and one of the creators of the Top Spin 360. And we're lucky enough to have him joining us right now on London Live. Dr. Versteeg, how are you? Great, thanks. How are you doing, Mike? <laughs> I'm really impressed at a number of different things. First off, we've talked about some of the things that you have been able to do, but I'm also impressed you were able to get out of Atlanta yesterday. How did you do that? <laughs> Surprisingly, actually, it wasn't too bad because it was an international flight. I think the domestic terminal was a was a zoo, but uh, there are fewer international folk uh, coming in for the Super Bowl as opposed to the domestically driven uh, Americans. Okay, well, let's talk about the Super Bowl and what you were a part of. You received a check for was it? It's, it's a big one, fifty thousand dollars. That's right. Yeah. We were uh, awarded the first and future advancing player health and safety award at the uh, at the 
competition this year. Between uh, us and there's uh, also a punt analytics side, there are over a thousand applicants. So we were we were quite uh, quite excited just to be selected as selected as top five, and uh, and then to win was just yeah just uh, incredible. Now, when you started creating what you created through Top Spin Technologies, it wasn't to win this prize. It was to do a whole lot more. What was it to do? So, yeah, it was, uh, it was certainly originally to help, uh, hopefully help decrease concussion risk. So uh, the original kind of story behind it, myself and my business partner play uh, rec hockey together, and as all good uh, Canadian stories, we went to the bar afterwards, after uh, playing some hockey, and they are showing Sidney Crosby's uh, concussion back in 2011 that uh, kept him up for almost a year. And my background is in physiotherapy, and my business partner in uh, uh, Jeff Fisher's uh, strength and conditioning coach for me back at the time when I played uh, football western. And so we got talking and said, you know, if his neck was strong, you wouldn't have had such a, such a violent concussion. And so that got me thinking about neck strengthening. And with my physio background, I thought, you know, Back in, uh, in our day, we had uh, what's called a uh, bit of an archaic machine. It was a four-wing neck where you kind of put your face on this uh, pad after a whole bunch of other guys would sweat on it and push forward, push back, push side to side. And um, Admittedly, it would improve your neck strength, but uh, I always thought you know, it wouldn't improve the neck muscle's ability to respond and react and to actually absorb the load and more trains the muscles to generate a load, which isn't really applicable if you're trying to kind of prevent your head from you know, smacking into the ice or not bouncing off the off the turf in the football game, so that got me thinking about how you go about strengthening the neck in a manner kind of consistent with training to absorb the load, so as to uh, prevent concussion. And uh, yeah, I spent uh, kind of literally months kind of bouncing around with a few early prototypes, and uh, eventually kind of came across uh, what is now the Thompson 360. So it's um, uh, I guess for those that are, it's. Easier to see than uh, than to describe on the radio, surely. But it's, uh, if you can imagine a, a football helmet with a on the top of it, there's a centrally mounted axis with a with a protruding arm, and on the end of the arm is a weight. So it's uh, almost like a, a propeller, but only one blade of the propeller and a weight at the end of it. And the athlete puts the helmet on, and he starts swinging the arm around, kind of like a hula hoop for the head. The faster you get that weight spinning, the more centripetal force is generated, and the stronger the neck muscles have to keep responding and reacting to that weight, trying to stabilize the, the head and space underneath the load. We're talking with Dr. Teo Versteeg, CEO of Top Spin Technologies, and the creator, the inventor of the Top Spin 360, which Dr. Versteeg just described. Again, it's to help strengthen those neck muscles in athletes, and they won the grand prize, two tickets to the Super Bowl, $50,000 as well, in the NFL's first and future competition. It was announced Saturday. It was the fourth annual of its type, and this company began right here in London, Ontario. Dr. Versteeg, we're learning more and more about concussions, but I'm sure it still sounds odd to hear, yeah, well, we're strengthening the neck muscles and that's going to help in the, I guess, the, the incidence of concussion going forward. Can you make the connection for us? Because a lot of people are still thinking, yeah, it's, it's a whack to the head that creates a concussion. Yeah, so there's a couple ways you can think about this. Uh, in the, I guess, if you go back to the physics days, didn't have to throw some, uh, some I guess, physics math 
at you. It's a force equals mass times acceleration. So a force that comes in the head, if you think about the head weighing about 8 pounds, then that force will cause the mass to accelerate quite easily. Whereas if you've got that 8-pound mass strongly fixed to a 208-pound body, then all of a sudden the force creates that uh, lot less acceleration with the, with the increased mass. So it, it provides a stronger link to the body, which will decrease the acceleration that's experienced by the brain. Um, there's also been uh, some research now. Uh, there's one that looked at uh, about 6,700 high school athletes, and after correcting for gender and sport, they still showed that for every one pound of increased carbs at neck strength, there's a 5% decreased risk of concussion. And it, it's also neck strength is the underlying belief as to why there's such a higher incidence of concussion rate in female sports. For instance, we've got a higher rate of concussion in women's hockey than there is in men's hockey, and yet women's hockey doesn't allow body checking, which is the primary source of concussions in men's hockey. So it's kind of a, um, a bit of a paradox on that one. And then the other one is uh, is soccer. The rate of concussion in women's soccer is much higher than the rate of concussion in men's soccer, which is the exact same sport. And so if you look at the strength of the neck, all of a sudden, what kind of correlations are you able to draw? Yeah, so that's uh, exactly right. So women, it's known, uh, again, from the research and just uh, uh, from what we've seen, that they have uh, generally weaker necks. And if you if you watch kind of the, the women's game, a lot of times when they do get uh, slide tackled in soccer and that, um, it is fairly common to see them bounce their head off the ground, um, as well as uh, they seem to have a lot harder time absorbing a, you know, a long ball header uh, compared to men playing the same sport. And it, uh, it does seem to point directly uh, at the, the rule of the neck. So what is next for the Top Spin 360 for Top Spin Technologies? Well, certainly, I mean, uh, we had a great time at the, at the Super Bowl. It's, uh, it's going to be following up on a lot of networking leads that we had after the, uh, after the competition. We got, uh, obviously, a lot of great kind of buzz and, uh, and media attention. And, uh, yeah, just kind of riding that through. We're going to be attending the NFL Combine later in uh, February and early March. And uh, so hopefully we can get uh, a few more NFL teams on board uh, using it. And uh, we've also got a meeting with some of the NFL biomechanics research team uh, at that time. So I guess, uh, you know, hold on to your ass. We'll uh, see where this goes. That's fantastic. How exciting. Well, congratulations on that. We talked to a punter yesterday who really enjoyed the Super Bowl. How about you? I mean, there there were so many people <laughs> used the word boring. I imagine being there made it anything but. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, admittedly the, the game, um, you know, left something to be desired. However, the whole experience with being at the Super Bowl is still is just a, just an incredible, uh, event. And it, it's one of those things that, uh, now I can, I can actually take that off my bucket list. So, uh, regardless of the game and a bit of an admittedly a snooze fest, um, the whole experience around it was not. And it's still just, uh, incredible to be there. Just the, it's, I mean, they, the NFL really goes over the top for this production. Anything stand out to you that when people say, hey, what was the Super Bowl like outside of what you were doing at Top Spin Technologies? You, this is what you tell them? I would say the, the halftime show when you're actually at the, like in the stadium, was incredible. It was really well done. I know I'd gotten some uh, feedback from friends that said, oh, the halftime show, show kind of sucks. 
what happened. I was like, I see it when you're there. The, the sound, everything was uh, was really cool. So it was uh, that was uh, yeah, definitely worth it just for the halftime alone. Um, it was unfortunate that I took three and a half quarters to get a football game out of it. I saw my first touchdown that late, but you know. <laughs> That's great. Well, Dr. Rustig, again, congratulations. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. Dr. Tal Versteeg, CEO of Top Spin Technologies and creator of the Top Spin 360. So as he describes, picture it as, as being a base of a football helmet, but it's designed to strengthen neck muscles. And when they first started looking at concussions, it was more about blows to the head. And it didn't take very long to realize that, sure, that can be a problem. But when you look at other ways that concussions are suffered one of the things that's come along in the last let's say 20 years to a greater degree is the use of use of mouth guards and the importance of mouth guards because if you are talking about a blow if you take your don't do this very hard and don't do it if you're driving but take your fist and kind of punch under your chin your jaw is forced back and it can give your head a shake and that force can cause your brain to go bang bang against the inside of your skull which can sometimes amount to a concussion and so mouth guard technology was big but then you think of that same force and Dr. Rustig puts it into such plain and understandable language and thanks to him for doing that if your neck is not strong enough you've basically got Eight pounds, which is your head, being supported on something pretty flimsy. If your neck is strong, then all of a sudden you have the rest of your body weight that is helping to station your head. And those are some pretty wild statistics that you look at with regard to concussions in women's sports or girls' sports, in soccer or you name it, in rugby, in hockey, because maybe that neck is just not as strong. So if you are an athlete, when they say, hey, let's do some neck strengthening exercises, don't give those kind of half your attention. Give those all your attention because that's essentially what this is building toward. And it was built, created right here in London, Ontario. News is next. Weather's not looking great. We'll have details on that with Jacqueline LaBelle plus the day's stories. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Just shot a text message to Brian Barlow. You might not know Brian. He lives in the United States. But he runs a Facebook page that has turned into even more than that called Offside. And essentially what he does is he accepts videos from people who capture parents fighting or parents treating referees like garbage. And he posts them. And he says that this is the only way to really teach parents that what they're doing is wrong is to shame them. Because we can go back to the story that came out today regarding a parent-filled hockey fight in Simcoe in which as many as 30 parents were involved. How do things escalate like this? How do they get... To that point, you know, I understand the our town doesn't like your town or whatever it happens to be, 
But how do you actually get to that point where you've got 30 grown-ups involved? I don't know what the kids were doing at the time. I would have liked to have seen their expressions. But do any of those parents feel shame today? Do they wish they could go back and maybe do things differently? If you get that worked up at a kid's game, you should leave. You're not doing anybody any favors, especially not your kid. Because you're probably the same person to yell at the coach or to yell at the referee. Hockey parents, I don't I don't know whether I don't know whether hockey parents are a different breed. And I don't know whether it's because, hey, the dream is there for your child to one day be Austin Matthews and sign a five year extension worth eleven point six million on average per year. I don't know if that's a caveat that still sits in there, but having been to hockey games, having been to basketball games, football games, hockey games tend to have the most vicious parents. They seem to be the parents that are most apt to go and talk to the coach. And before you go and talk to a coach about anything, stop. Don't. Unless there is a real problem with the coach and a number of parents are expressing it and perhaps together collectively you find a way either through a member of the organization or perhaps with that coach themselves to approach this and deal with it. If it's just about your kid and what you perceive to be a lack of power play time or it's just your kid and what you perceive to be a lack of something. Oh, you're not paying enough attention to my child in practice. I've been keeping a stopwatch. Stop it. Cut that out. Don't be like that. You don't need to do that. Make it about fun. Your kid's not Austin Matthews. Let me help you out. And if he is, great. But he's not. Your kid's not going to make the NHL. Oh, but he might. Yeah, okay, maybe. There are a select few of those. And you tend to know who they are pretty early on. The best of the best tend to remain the best of the best. If your child is not the best of the best... Encourage them to like the game. Encourage them to go as far as they can. But use that word, encourage. None of this, oh, the coaches, get out of here. Oh, those people from the other side, they're they're yelling at us. We better yell back. We better get into a fight. Let's fight the, well, you're really, really? So I'm hoping that maybe tomorrow we can see what, Brian has come up with recently or or we see kind of what he's been receiving because it blew his mind. He basically created a Facebook page just because he'd seen something, he posted something on it. He said, you know what, if you've seen something like this, send it to me. Let me know about it. And he was inundated with stuff. And some of the fights on his Facebook page, you know, if you want to laugh at grown-ups, go to Offside and check out some of the videos. Because that's what you'll do. You'll laugh at them. They're rolling around on the ground. You know, there's so much yelling. Somebody gets hit with a shoe. It's ridiculous. And anybody who's involved in a fight at a minor hockey game is just that. You are ridiculous. You should be ashamed of yourself. Go sit in the corner for five minutes. Face the wall. This is London Live. In a moment, we'll talk about something much happier from the world of sports. We'll talk about the 2019 induction class of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's talk some baseball. 
Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum can be found in St. Mary's, and it is always a very special place to visit. Today becomes one of those extra special days because today was the day that they unveiled their Hall of Fame class. In this case, for 2019. And names that you will recognize in a big way. Jason Bay. What is it with the water in Trail BC? What Do they put baseballs in the actual water in and around that area? Because we've had other baseball players come out of Trail BC. Jason Bay, of course, went on and did a lot of great things. Silver Slugger Award winner. Ryan Dempster won a World Series. Gord Ash has World Series rings. And maybe the name that you don't know but should is Rob Thompson, who's from Sarnia. And he has a World Series ring or more. Right now, here is the man who got to tell them that this was going to happen. Please welcome from the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, Scott Crawford. Scott, how are things? Hey, I'm pretty good. How are you? Not bad. You've got guys who have been to the top of the mountain or guys who have received incredible awards. Jason Bay maybe didn't win a World Series, but Rookie of the Year, three-time All-Star, Silver Slugger Award winner. This guy could hit baseballs. When you call them to tell them about something like the Hall of Fame, what kind of a reaction do you get? It's a great reaction. I mean, they're they're sort of floored and, and taken back for a second. Uh, you know, when I when I called uh, Gord Ash, he he paused, and I thought you know he dropped the phone or something because <laughs> he uh, he paused, and then he said, "Wow, thank you very much." And you could tell his voice was kind of cracking. Um, these guys, you know, we're the we're the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. It's the whole country honoring these guys, and from coast to coast, we reached out BC this year, which was fantastic. Well, Trail BC finds you, Jason Bay. When when you talk about that sort of thing, you've got people who have done such exceptional things, but isn't it like they don't even realize what they've done is that special? It is. I mean, they're they're so down to earth and and regular guys. I mean, it could be say it's they're they're typical Canadians. They just you know they they played the game. They had fun. You know, Ryan Dempster pitched 16 years in the big leagues. I mean, how how many people have done that? You know, and uh, and Jason Bay played 11, and you know, and played uh, hit over 200 home runs. So I mean, these guys are are not only played the game, but they were top of the game for all of baseball history. Scott, maybe you can take us through the selection process. How do you actually come down to just four? Yeah, it's uh, we have a committee uh, spread across Canada. They're made up of past inductees, some media personality. Uh, some uh, baseball executives, baseball historians. So it's a wide range of people who vote. There's 24 spread across the country. And they basically, uh, I send them all the information. They go over the binder of information. They have a first-round vote um, they, uh, by email. And then with the key aspect of the whole committee is the conference call. We, have, we get all 24 people on the call one time, and everyone has their opportunity to talk about you know, the goods and bads about uh, um, uh, what who's on the ballot and who they think everyone should vote for, et cetera, et cetera. So that's always a great uh, conversation. And then they submit their final ballot, and, and that's their vote. And you need 75% to get in, and he's four were the individuals this year. Are you the guy that has to mediate 24 voices on a conference call? <laughs> yep, I'm the one in charge. I don't get a vote, <laughs> but I, uh, I get all these guys on the phone, and, and, uh, and they all give their opinions. How long does this conference call take, and can we get a copy? <laughs> you don't want a copy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, about an hour and a half phone call, and, uh, you know, it's just people, uh, we sort of go down the list alphabetically, and everyone gets their, their moment to, uh, to say what they think. Let's talk right now, and we're talking with Scott Crawford from the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, the 2019 
Baseball Hall of Fame class is out. Gord Ash, Jason Bay, Ryan Dempster, and Rob Thompson. You mentioned Ryan Dempster and his pitching prowess. You mentioned Jason Bay, his hitting prowess. Gord Ash as an executive. Maybe the name that people know the least could be Rob Thompson. Can you tell us what we need to know about him? Well, first of all, he's uh, he lives 10 minutes north of St. Mary's in Seabrookville, so that's that's kind of cool that he lives right next door, basically. And uh, he, he, he played on Team Canada in the 84 Olympics. You know, that's where he got his start. Um, and then for 28 years, he was a coach in the New York Yankees system. And the last 15 of those were on the big league roster. So, I mean, he... If you think of who played for the Yankees in the last 28 years, he was the guy who ran spring training for the Yankees, who coached them, who managed them. Um, he was the third base coach waving Derek Jeter and everyone around to score runs, um, and the bench coach, right beside Joe Girardi. So he did that for 28 years. And then the last two years, he's moved over to Philadelphia and done the same type thing, and Philadelphia is a very young and exciting up-and-coming ball team. So Rob's, uh, he's got five World Series rings on his, on his hand and, and a whole bunch of experience. And you talk about the bench coach position. Maybe that's a position that people don't appreciate in baseball, but how close that is to the manager and how big a job that is. It is. I mean, he basically, uh, you know, he was the veteran, so he was brought in to help uh, Gabe Kapler and the, and the Philadelphia Phillies this year, or last year, sorry, and, uh, you know, they wanted the veteran voice. He'd done it with the Yankees. There's no more pressure anywhere in baseball than working for the New York Yankees, and, uh, and they brought him in, and his job is basically to give his opinion and to uh, work with the younger players and the younger other coaches that are trying to grow their resume, and... Uh, you know, and really keep the game from moving too fast because he always says, you know, when he first started, the game is so fast when you're coaching and managing it that you really got to slow things down. And he's uh, he's got 28 years behind him of, of slowing things down. Scott Crawford from the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Let's look ahead at the induction ceremony. When and where? Yeah, it's right uh, on Saturday, June 15th. We'll have the induction ceremony right here at the Hall of Fame on our our ball fields in St. Mary's, and of course, it's a whole weekend event. Thursday, we'll have a big event, uh, welcoming event. Friday's our celebrity golf tournament, and Saturday, Saturday's the induction ceremony and a whole day of baseball. Fantastic. And then these four go in, and for anybody who hasn't been there and hasn't seen the speeches that they deliver on Saturday morning, anybody's welcome to go and do just that. What is that day like? It's just, it's a baseball day. There's, there'll be over a thousand people here. Uh, the new museum will be open. All the renovations will be done, so the museum will be open. Uh, there's ball games on the field. There's barbecue. There's silent auction. There's an autograph session after the induction ceremony. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Ryan Dempster does a great Harry Carey impression, and he promised to, to do us one over the weekend, so we can't wait for that as well. <laughs> Well, you mentioned the museum itself. You told us not too long ago about some of the things that were happening. Where does all of that sit right now? It's coming along really well. The uh, The renovations are uh, pretty much looked after and done on the, the old part of the museum. Uh, the new part's been built. We added that 2,500 square feet uh, last year. Renovation the inside have been done. And actually today, the uh, the BAM, the museum design firm that we hired out of Toronto, arrived to start to install the uh, all the displays and, and artwork and panels and, and all that stuff. So it's pretty exciting, and, and we'll be open uh, in the springtime. Anybody who has been through the museum knows that you just 
you turn corners very slowly because before now, every single little spot was always taken up and you'd look and you'd say, wow, look at that. And then you turn your head just a little bit. Look at those. Look at. And that was kind of what the experience was like. How is it going to be different once everything is finished? Well, we've added a couple of really unique aspects. One is our research library and archive center. Um, it's, it's, we have so much great information and so much history in the Sim, Harry Simmons collection and other things that, uh, you know, the researchers and the historians and the uh, university people will be able to come in and do their research in a, in a location, a physical location. And then, the, uh, you know, the museum displays, we're going to have a, a large um, a section where it's going to be rotating displays or different displays or rental space and, and whatnot. So that space will be really interesting. And, and that will keep evolving and keep changing. Uh, so that will keep bringing people back. And then the old museum... Uh, completely renovated on the inside with new lights and new flooring and new walls. And it's going to be properly museum uh, displays, you know, with shadow boxes and, and display panels, and, and everything's going to look like a professional museum. And with this happening, can we look and say St. Mary's is the permanent home of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum? Yeah, it's, it's pretty, um, you know, we've done a lot of work here. We've been here 20 years. We've built the four ball fields on our 32 acres of land and, and done a great renovation to the museum now. Scott, congratulations on that, and congratulations on another amazing Hall of Fame class. I appreciate it. No, it's going to be a great year for, for Canadians. We've got two players, a coach and a, an executive, so we're a well-rounded, well-rounded group. Definitely, and so much success. Well, we'll look ahead to all of that. Thanks so much for the time. Perfect. Thank you. Scott Crawford, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. And that's just it. Rob Thompson, five World Series rings. One is the bench coach, but he's been a part of the organization Gord Ash, two World Series rings with Toronto. Ryan Dempster won one with the Cubs. And, yeah, you bet. There are impressions. Uh, these guys kind of they kind of kick back. It is a great, great day and, in this case, weekend to be a part of. We'll be back with one more story as we close out London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Tomorrow on London Live, already confirmed. We are going to talk with Brian Barlow from Offside. Just got a text back from him, and we'll talk about parents behaving badly at sporting events. Johnny Van Zant of Leonard Skinner is going to be on the show. We'll talk about putting a casino in Grand Bend. Does everybody need a casino? How's the Glenworth Curve casino coming along? Do we have that in place yet? Not everybody can have a casino. There's too many casinos. We don't gamble that much, but a story before we go, the guy who's been known as Better X missed on the Super Bowl. This particular better has been winning millions and millions of dollars on big games like World Series, like NBA Championship, other things that that they've been betting on, and they always bet through MGM and the Las Vegas Sportsbooks. And this time around, Better X, nobody ever knows who this is, invested $3.8 million on three big bets, all of them having the Rams to win. And, of course, when the Rams don't win, you wind up losing your $3.8 million. But Christian Davino had found a little something else yesterday. There was a guy who was a whole lot happier because he bet $250 that the Rams would only score three points. How astronomical were the odds on that particular bet? 
Rams only score three points. And remember, Greg Zerline, their kicker, had an attempt right at the end of the game because the Rams were down by 10 points. So they basically tried to kick a field goal, then go for an onside kick. And that was their idea. Get the onside kick, throw a Hail Mary, maybe you tie the game. Instead, they missed that kick. Had they hit it, Rams would have scored six points. So $250 goes down on the Rams to only score three points. I'm not encouraging gambling by this, but this guy walked away with $100,000, according to ESPN. $100,000. We still don't need that many casinos. We got one coming in London. Isn't that enough? We got one in Windsor. We got a few others. How many do you need? Then you fly to Vegas and they're just filled. We are not Vegas. We don't have the weather. We had far too much rain. And we are going to get some nasty, nasty stuff. Was it Environment Canada that used the word dicey? How bad do things have to be if Environment Canada is selecting the word dicey? I don't know if it was them. But we will have details on what the weather is supposed to bring us. If you have spikes on your tires or can find a way to get spikes, chains, remember the old chains? Maybe now's the time. I don't think those are legal anymore. Christian Devino, thank you for your help today. London Live brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. Depending how much ice we get, we may need some restoring. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.